and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 88B. I'm Kay, here with my co-host Taz. Hello there. Today we'll be discussing Farscape Season 4 for our wrap episode. Let's get started. Welcome back. So season four, we made it all the way to the end. I'm kind of like in awe that we've been able to keep up this podcast for this long, honestly. (laughs) But I'm so thrilled that we've done like a complete rewatch of the series. And yes, I know we have Peacekeeper Wars coming up, but this has just been such a great like revisit of the show that I love so much, you know? Yeah, this show, I I think when I started it, we were kind of talking about our favorite shows and like what, you know, and it just made sense to me that we would do this one because there's a lot of shows that you and I both like, but this is kind of the one that has the most meat on the bone for me because it has all of the stuff I love, like found Mm -hmm. family, like characters who would kill for each other. (laughs) And at the same time, it has like funny episodes and serious episodes and it's not episodic. You know what I mean? Mm. Like a lot of these arcs you find from season one to season four, you know, and yeah, we realized that some of them were kind of truncated because they expected they were going to have a next season. But I think that it just, this show is so good and I think it matters to so many people. Yeah, for sure. And also, I mean, there's definitely a part of it that I watched this when I was a teenager for the first time or I watched this for the first time when I was a teenager and that was such like a formative, both as a formative television show and a formative show on how I perceive science fiction. And like, mm-hmm. this was really the bar that set all my expectations for all shows coming after it that I watched. I mean, I was in Stargate fandom too, but I could never, I haven't watched all the episodes of Stargate. I've watched a lot of them, but just because Farscape was that bar, I just couldn't get into it the same way, you know? Yeah, we were just talking about this. Like, Stargate has, like, a lot of really fun episodes, too. And it does have some arcs, you know, that last. But I think that, for me, really, this is, like, just such a definitive science fiction show. Because it shows what sci-fi can do. And it really was at the cusp of when TV went from that has to be episodic to it can be episodic. But, hey, having, you know, serial episodes is better. You know, mm-hmm. right, right. Like the 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 type plotting that you'll see these days, especially on shows that have like thirteen seasons or shorter. Like you know, Netflix run can be anywhere from like eight to thirteen. You know, and it's really tightly plotted, really interconnected, and there's no filler episodes. Where here we do have filler episodes because mm-hmm. this was coming from you know reset at the end of each episode, which was what was remarkable about it at the time is you didn't feel like at the end of the episode the characters got reset at all. Yeah, yeah. And you especially see that here, I think, in season four. Like it is, you know, we're, we're going to get into it in a second. But I think that you especially see here in season four that they don't do that reset, that things really last, not just between episodes, but in between season three and season four. And a contemporary for this one was, I think, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, Battlestar Galactica starred in 2003, the revived, ver- the rebooted version, and mm-hmm. Farscape season four ended in 2003. I think in a lot of ways you can see that sci-fi really saw what they had here with Farscape where they saw a show that had like a continuous plot arc and where you could kind of hold that together and you really see that reflected in in some of Battlestar Galactica because you compare it to like another semi-contemporary which would be Voyager which was Mm -hmm. kind of around that same time and 
you don't see that. Same for Enterprise, which came out, mm-hmm. I think, a little after. bit after this. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least maybe overlapping a little bit. I can't remember. I never watched Enterprise, actually. I watched just enough to be like, I don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think Enterprise was airing concurrently with some of Farscape. Yeah. Because I, I seem to recall they they had a tonal shift after 9-11 from what I read. Yeah. But to specifically get to season four and not just talk about how much we love Farscape, <laughs> what were your overall feelings of season four? I think I I liked it a lot better on the rewatch than I thought I remembered it. And I don't know how much of my memory is colored by the disappointment of, you know, knowing that the show is canceled and the whole, you know, drama externally around that. But I felt like a lot of the episodes were either stronger or better than I remembered. I do think there is some unevenness to it still because some of the quality of the filler episodes definitely dragged it down a bit. Like we have that little arc in the middle where we have I Shrink Therefore I Am, A Perfect Murder, Kubai Clam. That kind of, you know, slows things, the pace down. And then you also have that arc kind of after the after the going back to Earth where we have Mental as Anything and a, a couple other episodes. So I don't know. It's just the pacing I don't think is as good as season three. But season three is kind of the paragon of Farscape because mm-hmm. there really was not a single bad episode in that season. Whereas this, the pacing of season four reminded me a lot more of the pacing of season two, mm-hmm. where it's still very strongly with this arc of stuff happening you have a three-parter in the middle you have a three-parter at the end you have some a couple stinkers of episodes but you know overall it's i think a stronger season than i was remembering it being Mm -hmm. so i think that's kudos to him for for doing that (laughs) (laughs) uh i weirdly enough i'm kind of gonna go the opposite direction because i have such vague memories of this show that i just remembered farscape gets stronger and stronger and stronger And I think maybe I was basing that off Peacekeeper Wars, because when I was watching this, I was like, dang, some of this is just not up to Farscape standards. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's how I felt when I was watching some of these episodes in season four. It was just kind of like, really? This is Farscape? You know, this is what we're (laughs) watching. And so... I, I don't know. For me, it still is it still is true that it's still Farscape. So like mm-hmm. even the truly, truly awful episodes <laughs> are 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 not as bad as they could be. Let me put it that mm-hmm. way. <laughs> because yeah. they still have that underlying, you still have the actors that know their characters. You still have the writers that are like aware of the character interactions that are important to us as an audience. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was kind of like it's hard to watch season three, which is excellent. Or even season two, which I found the latter half of season two just like amazing. Mm-hmm. And then come to this and kind of be like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is not as good as those two were. Yeah, no, I don't think it's as good as either of those, but it wasn't as bad as my memory you know, led yeah. me to believe. Like some of the individual episodes that we watched, like I Shrink Therefore I Am and uh, A Prefect Murder, which had that really awesome cinematography going on to mm-hmm. tell its story. Like on rewatch, those really stood out to me as better episodes, mm-hmm. like on an individual level. And maybe what we're sensing is like, how do they fit within the larger story? Do they do that as well as season two, for instance? Mm hmm. I don't know. Maybe they just don't fit as well. Maybe there's an expectation that was set so high with season three because season three was amazing, you know, that it, you know, season four can't be anything but a letdown in comparison. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it has some episodes that I just love. And maybe we should just get into what our favorite episodes were. One of mine is Unrealized Realities. 
which mm. is the wormhole episode where John is basically John and Einstein and then all these alternate realities that come along. And I love it so much for the world building as much as anything because we've been talking about wormholes for this entire show. And this is mm-hmm. like a huge payoff for what does that actually mean? Like, what do these wormholes do? How do they function? Why are they dangerous? And I think Farscape going into the time of the space-time part of it is really ingenious because in most other science fiction we just see the spatial element of wormholes oh we're going to get from one place to another Mm -hmm. in a shorter time frame but you're not dealing with what happens if that time is messed up somehow and i just really love that aspect of that episode and i love how that episode just builds and builds and builds and you see this really clear arc of how john feels about wormholes change throughout it as he learns more and learns to be afraid of them Mm mm-hmm I think that that episode is really when the sci-fi of Farscape gets like really sci-fi. Let me put it that way. Because we've always talked Mm -hmm. about Farscape being, I mean, obviously it's science fiction. It occurs in space. (laughs) It involves science, you know. But a lot of times that science is very hand wavy and it definitely approaches magic more than science. Totally agree on that. I mean, we said that so many times that we just kind of have to accept it's Farscape magic. (laughs) And I think that unrealized realities is when it really takes this idea of like science science and it kind of integrates that into the plot like mm-hmm. i think in general tv is never going to be your hardcore like asimovian hard science sci-fi mm-hmm. do you know what i mean for sure it's yeah. always tv is always going to be more on the dune side of science fiction where it's like a little more fantasy-ish you know, yeah, than purists sure. want. and But I think Farscape in this episode is really like, no, 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 we are a science fiction show, you know? Yeah. But it also sets up this kind of internally consistent way of thinking about wormholes that kind of ties back to how they've been introduced in season three with the Pathfinders mm-hmm. and also how they move forward with it um, through the latter half of season four. Yeah. With how they get back to Earth and how they, you know, deal with the Scarens and all that. Yeah, yeah. So for me, my favorite episode, I kind of was going back and forth on prayer and promises. You know, those were kind of my two, like, and natural election was in there too, but I'm kind of like, I think prayer (laughs) or promises, and maybe it's because those are both Aaron heavy episodes. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that... Prayer is so good, though. Oh, prayer is so good. I'd completely forgotten it this time around, because we've had a couple of, like, torture slash truth-telling episodes in Farscape before. Like, we had the episode where everybody was being interviewed by those giant spindly-legged aliens. The Ugly Truth, and back in season two. Yeah, way back in season two, we had Ugly Truth, which was really good. And that also kind of dealt with, like, what's truth, what's fiction, what's pe- what are people just thinking they're seeing versus what did they actually, you know, versus what actually yeah. happened. Yeah, it's and- the Rashomon episode. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think that that this episode kind of dealt with some of the same ideas, but at the same time, it felt a lot to me more like the episodes where John is initially being tortured by Scorpius, you know, and he's trying to tell the truth or he's trying to, you know, hold back. And that's what this felt like was like Aaron Mm -hmm. trying to tell them what she thinks they want to hear. Because yeah. at the point where you're torturing somebody, you don't actually want the truth. You want to hear what you think you want to hear. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I just really loved that episode. Because I love Claudia yeah. Black. She's such a good actress. 
Yeah, and it really digs deep into Aaron's character, too, because we've never seen Aaron specifically brought this low before, Mm -hmm. where she is completely vulnerable. And there's also that inherent vulnerability of she's pregnant with a child, and they want the child, and she's helpless to protect her child. And... At, you know, and then they're torturing her, and she has this you know deep love of John, convinced that he's going to come for her, and that faith, and you know that that's just, and then that ties back into the little bits of peacekeeper, you know, religion or Sebastian religion that we get hints of there, mm-hmm. and she's all by herself. And meanwhile, we as the audience know that John does not know how to find her. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that she's just captured; it's like she is gone. And I think that in addition, just makes it such a powerful episode of seeing Aaron alone, struggling, keeping faith, trying to do her best, breaking. And it's just, you know, it's wrenching. It's a really, really good episode. So good. I love that episode. I like that you mentioned Natural Election, though, as a runner-up, because I think of the ensemble episodes where everybody, Dargo and Chiana and everybody Mm -hmm. are involved. I think that's the strongest of, one of the strongest of the, the group. Oh, yeah. Because it has... It has, you know, the plant, but also this other emotional stuff going on for everybody, not just John and Aaron. Yeah, and I think that the strong episodes for me this season, I mean, obviously the Aaron ones are always going to be strong because I love her. (laughs) But also the season did have some pretty good, you know, really teamy episodes. Like I think Mm -hmm. that when you look at the We're So Screwed trilogy and Mm. Bad Timing, you know, that really shows that Farscape's strength always has been in its found family, you know? Yeah. So what episode did you hate this season? Oh, my gosh. I would have thought it would have been mental as anything, but I think I actually liked Kubai Clam less. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, mental as anything, like, despite the kind of character assassination that happens to poor Dargo, there are actually parts of that through Dargo's response and everything that I liked of how he's dealing with this stuff, even though I really kind of don't like what the writers are doing to him and like that whole doubt and everything and his, you know, did he hurt Lola or not? But I think Kubai Clam, just because of the, I don't know, the underlying systemic sexism that's in there, both in the planet itself and then how they write John about it, I think that's what just turned me off of that episode. Yeah, uh, pretty much the same. I think that Kublai <laughs> Clam also has an episode. The more I th- thought about it after the fact, I was like, this is not an episode that makes sense. <laughs> Everything <laughs> in it is bad except for Rigel. <laughs> Rigel's Rigel most- shines in that episode. I will give, that, give it that. Yeah. And as demental as anything, I felt the same way. I was like, if it literally hadn't had the assassination of Dario's character, if it hadn't, which... Again, like canon is canon, but at the same time, I'm like, if you hadn't, I don't likes it. Yeah, I'm like, if you hadn't made it canon, it wouldn't have been canon. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's kind of my feeling about mental as anything. So, favorite character this season, Aaron is always like the best. <laughs> no, really, she has like one of the best arcs throughout the season. Like, this is really, I think the the overarching character arc really goes to her this season because she has gone through you know being away from moya rejecting john trying to get him back having him reject her and then 
she has this this journey of like continuing to reach out to him, which is not something we would have ever seen from Aaron of season one, right? Mm-hmm. And and then as we already talked about prayer and that whole arc, and then the two of them figuring it out as a couple at the end. You know, this the season Aaron really really shines of like going through this long long change, mm-hmm. and I don't know, she's just awesome. <laughs> Aaron is always going to be my favorite. Yeah, if you ask me, like my favorite character from Farscape, I'm going to be like, Aaron, what are you talking about? John who? <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I still love John. I love our little, you know, space boy. Yeah. But I think for me, what really matters is that Aaron starts this season at her lowest point. Like she spent however long, let's say at least several months, probably closer to like, let's imagine like less than like slightly less than a year you know she's been off doing assassinations she's been off doing things she wasn't trained for but things that she wants to do almost to like punish herself and then she comes back kind of because well I mean because she's dying (laughs) but also because she realizes that what she really wants is John that Mm -hmm. even though the John that she loved and the John that she was intimate with died she realizes that she's pushing away him you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like that we're going back to that season one push and pull feeling of like, I don't want you. And then her realiz- and then her coming back is kind of the realization that I do and I can have you, you know, mm-hmm. and that kind of like self-acceptance. And again, it really strikes me during bad timing when they're talking about their relationship. And she was like, well, I always saw our relationship end. You know, she always saw like the ending of their relationship. And that was what potentially hurt her was the idea yeah. of this relationship ending. And so kind of her coming back is really this like, even if it is going to end, because you're probably not going to live as long as I am, even if it is going to end, I want to do it together. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the criticisms that I remember when season four first aired was that Aaron was like a pod person Aaron and not actually Aaron. And it was one of the things that I I kind of could see where people were coming from with it, but I never really agreed with. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering what your thoughts on it were. I can definitely see that. I think that if I was seeing this without knowing where the season ends up, then yeah, for certain. Mm -hmm. Because it is really out of character for Aaron, Miss, like, peacekeepers can potentially be good for the universe to be like, I'm going to go kill people for a year, you Mm -hmm. know, or like, I don't know, several months. I think that for me, though, that whole beginning of the season with, like, John pushing her away and John doing drugs and, like, I'm not saying that after three years in space and, like, however (laughs) many attempts on your life and, like, being mind, you know, being mind raped repeatedly, I'm not saying it wouldn't mess you up. But for me, just John's characterization at the beginning of the season makes me so mad that I'm kind Mm -hmm. of, like, Aaron could have been, like, acting like Chiana and I still would have found a way to forgive it. You know what I mean? I still would have found a way to be like, that's in character because X. I think that for me, John's characterization at the beginning of this season where I'm like, literally she is telling you she wants to be with you. Mm -hmm. And like the explanation kind of we have, which is like, oh, well, he knows that if Scorpy finds out that he really loves Aaron, I'm like, Scorpy (laughs) knows he loves Aaron. (laughs) What are we talking about? But he doesn't appreciate how important Aaron is to her. And I think, I mean, this is one of those things that like John Quixote, that episode where this in the middle part of the episode when 
when they, they think they've pulled out and Scorpius is free and capturing people and everything. That, I think, is the changing point for John in terms of how he thinks about Scorpius and his mm-hmm. danger to Aaron specifically. And that was something I never really caught before. So it was, it, it was kind of neat to see this time around of being like, oh, this is where John's characterization is coming from. Yes, he was at a really low point at the beginning. He was down. He was having trust issues with Aaron. But this is really when in episode, was it eight? I don't remember what Don Quixote was, but early on and being like, okay, here's where he really starts the facade of, of not wanting her at all. Yeah. And there's a lot of frustration I have with John as well. I guess in terms of the story they end up telling, it bothers me less, but that's just because I know the whole context. Yeah. I mean, I think there is a benefit to being able to watch this kind of as a glut, as like a, you know, (laughs) kind of being able to binge watch season four because like it glosses over a lot of the issues because essentially even though when you were watching in real time with like one or two weeks in between every single episode. Or, you know, eight months at the end. Yeah. But... (laughs) <laughs> or like eight sci-fi's <laughs> way of putting the season finale at, at you know next year i think with that sort of schedule it really stretches out the problems of this season because mm-hmm. for me to be honest it was really disappointing that the john not trusting aaron slash john pretending to not want aaron got stretched for so long yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a long time. I mean, what's the the next turning point for them is twice shy, which is episode 14. Yeah. You know. So that's, that's like uh, more than half the season. Yeah. It's like yeah. over half the season, they're on bad terms. Or John is on bad terms with Aaron. And Aaron is kind of acting like a kicked puppy and being like, <laughs> please forgive me. What more do you want from me? I think that for me, that is the one thing, is that it takes her so long to break. Probably mm-hmm. because and maybe this is a 2018 thing, but I find the who's the daddy very annoying. I find this idea that John is so obsessed with it not being his. I find that very, very freaking irritating because I'm like, she was with people before you. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. If there's a seven year window that she could have conceived in, then yeah. Yeah. I mean, I actually honestly found that annoying the first time around too, I think, because I just remember being like, do you care? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Why is this an issue? I don't care. You should not care. I think that, and yeah, I mean, yeah, I get that so. there's like a certain amount of like male pride and like fathering a mm-hmm. child. And I get that that's very important to John. We saw that in the look at the princess trilogy. But yeah. for me, I'm kind of like, ugh, come on, really? Yeah. And the fact that that's part of what stretches it out, you know, yeah, also contributes to that. So who is your underdog MVP of the season? I think Naranti in the end, even though she really <laughs> annoyed me in Lava is a many splendored thing. But on the retrospect, oh Lava is so funny compared to like the rest of the series, like the rest of the season <laughs> around it. Lava is like hilarious. I think Naranti because like by the end, she's like, whatever, I'm going to make up like a potion out of things I can spit out of my mouth. And I'm like, you go Naranti. <laughs> I think that's what I love about her. She's just always so consistently wacky and kind of orthogonal to everybody else in the way she sees things and her approach to problem solving and her read on situations. Mm-hmm. And then you get these these moments like like I guess we saw in Constellation of Doubt in one of her interviews when she's like, you know, peace is really important and, you know, I've seen the destruction of civilizations that you kind of get the sense that, you know, 
it's as much a defense mechanism as anything else. Mm-hmm. Like she has cared a lot. She has cared so much and it's destroyed her. And this is the person that we're left with. This person who tries her best, who's very knowledgeable, but who has to be kind of like drugs. Drugs are the answer because <laughs> clearly she's on as many drugs as the rest of them. <laughs> Or, you know, more than the rest of them, really. But yeah, she's a fantastic addition to the crew this season. Yeah, no, I love her. And I think that definitely seeing her on Earth, I think, really rounded out her character for me. Like, especially those interviews. Like, I think if we hadn't seen those interviews and we hadn't seen – essentially, if we hadn't seen Constellation of Doubt, I still would have been in kind of like the, oh, okay, wacky character, (laughs) you know. But I think that having seen those interviews and having seen, like, her idea of religion – you know, because she's coming mm-hmm. in to kind of not as a Zan replacement, because we've talked about how nobody could ever replace Zan, but she's yeah. coming in to kind of fill that healer role. But then in the end, we see that her concept of religion is so much deeper. Like Zan had like this very like the goddess, like forward, like this is what I believe. And Naranti is kind of like, yes, she believes in the divine eternal, but she's also seen the danger of religion. And I think that that's what makes her really interesting to me is like she's the religious character who's anti-religion. Yeah, that's that's a really that's a really good point. I just love her. She, I just love her so much. She's so good. I love Naranti. What about you? <laughs> who's your MVP? Um, I think Naranti is up there. I also want to I want to give kudos to Dargo this season, especially in his role as captain, because mm-hmm. I think he really grows into that role after natural within natural election and afterwards, where you know he is that kind of calm presence on the bridge, not the bridge <laughs> command, but it's just like he's grown so much since season one, you know, and through all his journeys and arguments with John in season three. But he really is a good presence. And like even in bad timing when he's like, okay, I can't order this. Pilot, you have to tell me to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a really good acknowledgement that he has to take care of his people and there are some things he can't ask of them. Whereas mm-hmm. if you think about Dargo in season one, especially in some of the early episodes where he's like, I'm in charge, I'm the Luxon. And everyone's just like, yeah, you're right, buddy. But he's still like yelling and everything. I don't know. He's come a long way since trying to cut off everyone's pinky finger. Yeah, he really has. I think that, I mean, ignoring mental as anything, I think that this season, <laughs> he really comes into his own as like the leader, as the captain. And when they all vote for him, I mean, well, when all of the important characters vote for him, <laughs> it really mattered, yeah. I think. And, and for me, I was like, oh, you know, like we talk so much about John's arcs and Aaron's arcs. And, you know, Chiana's arcs we talked a lot about in season two. But I think that for me, it really showed that, you know, he has had this, like, change Mm -hmm. of who he is. And I think that – and again, with the constellation of doubt where I was just, like, I was dying at the idea of him going on (laughs) Conan and him with Bobby was really adorable, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I would even argue that even with mental as anything – you know, how he handled that situation in the present was actually so much more mature than he would have handled it, you know, season one, you mm-hmm. know, or way back when. Yes, it draws many things into his character, into things that we don't want to consider about him. But at the same time, his season, his portrayal of him in the moment, I think, was still inconsistent with what we've seen for the rest of the season. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So who do you think was most underused? Rigel. 
I think that yeah. of the four, Rigel was really underused this season. And I think we really see that in like Constellation of Doubt when it's like, oh, Rigel went down there to smooth things over. And you like forget, you're like, oh yeah, Rigel the politician, Rigel the peacemaker. I think what mm-hmm. I really missed was like at the end of season three when we had Rigel acting as negotiator for John to go on Scorpius as command carrier. And then this season, we just didn't really have anything similar, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, he had lots of moments, but he never really had as sustained a presence in, in many of the episodes as he has had in the past, I think, even as like a contrarian. Yeah, because this season we had Sokozu and, and Scorpius as the contrarians. And so, yeah, we were really missing that Rigel, you know, kind of him being the voice of reason. <laughs> You know? <laughs> or you know i mean i don't know the moment that sticks out to me is is when he talks to pilot in bad timing saying you know you should do this pilot and, mm-hmm. and pilot says you wouldn't but rigel says i'm i you're not me mm-hmm. you know he's recognizing the difference between them yeah i feel like we we just needed more rigel i did love him in kansas though oh so good uh, <laughs> scamming kids out of candy <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> Rigel. So who do you think was the best addition to the cast then? Um, I know we've already talked about her, but I really like Noranti mm-hmm. coming in. Yeah, I, I really like her. And I think actually having, I just, we just talked about it, but Sokozu and Scorpius for that matter, hmm. you know, present, I think that changed the dynamic a lot too. What did you think? Yeah, for me, I think it was Scorpius um, because he's been a villain since season two. So kind of, I... I'm always interested in the idea of villains becoming allies. You know, you see that in a lot of TV. But I think that <laughs> as much as I, and I'm still going to say this, if Scorpius shows up, you shoot him. You don't invite <laughs> him to stay, <laughs> even if he is in a prison cell. But at the same time, I think he added a lot, especially towards the end of the season when he was kind of John's worst friend. <laughs> yeah, like worst friend. Like he did so much for John, but he was also like, kind of bad for John. And and I, I think what I'm specifically thinking about is in prayer when they go on the alternate Moya and John brought Scorpius because he knew Scorpius would be willing to kill people and John wasn't yeah. there yet. And so that's kind of like the Scorpius I'm thinking about, like the Scorpius that can almost talk John into using wormholes for the peacekeepers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I like that they never lost sight of Scorpius's motivations. Like he never comes back to the, he never comes around to the good guys, quote unquote, mm-hmm. side of things, our, our intrepid Moya crew. He's always has his own agenda. His own agenda is always forefront in his mind. He is still working to get wormholes for the peacekeepers or as close as he can get or whatever backup contingency he thinks he needs, because that is still his ultimate goal. And I think I think what's so great about him in season four and being on the crew is that I th- as an audience member, you forget that sometimes, mm-hmm. but then they don't let you forget at the end. And then I don't know. It's just, I thought it was really well done. Yeah. Yeah. I would totally agree. So uh, speaking of arcs this season, what was your favorite? I think mine is, is the going back to earth arc. So unrealized realities, Kansas, terra firma, and then including a uh, constellation of doubt to kind of round out that set. Mm-hmm. I think part of it is it's a huge payoff for the first episode, <laughs> you know, of, of here's John astronaut. He's gone away and now he's come back. It's that whole, you know, Lord of the Rings, the, the denouement that we skip in the movies, but mm-hmm. in the books, when the hobbits go back to Hobbiton and they see how it's changed and then how much they have changed in contrast. 
um, it's very much that hero's journey, you know, returning home thing. Mm-hmm. And that really speaks to me. And also, I mean, the other part of that is I'm a, I'm a crossover nut, right? And this is like classic outsider point of view, two worlds coming together, clashing and seeing John at his own place really highlights who he is as a different person. I know we have issues a little bit with Terra Firma and how they handled that, but I still really like that episode because I really like, you know, seeing John in that setting trying to grapple with it. Yeah. That really appeals to me. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I liked the episodes. I mean, we all know my feelings about (laughs) how it should have just been a season of like, what's it like? I mean, not actually. No, I wouldn't have liked that at all, but it should have been at least a few more episodes than it was. For me, my favorite arc this season was the Scarin War and the Greza pushing for peace arc because as much as as much as we hated Greza and as problematic <laughs> a character as she is, I yeah. still find it really fascinating, this idea of like the larger politics, something that we've mm-hmm. never gotten before on Farscape. And to be honest, like the more I think about like Greza, her pursuit of Moya makes like very little sense because she's like, <laughs> I want peace of the Scarens. She's kind of thinking big picture. And mm-hmm. these are these, you know, guys running around robbing banks, you know? Yeah. I get why she was the villain, but at the same time, I, I don't know. I found that whole end of the season where like she's she's sitting at the table and she's about to make peace and then John comes in and blows it all up and then her kind of falling apart after that. I found yeah. that, that that really just played with some interesting big pieces that were that I liked, you know? Yeah, yeah. Grace is such an interesting character because I say interesting now after having like professedly hated her just for existing. (laughs) But okay, so I think she is the most interesting to me and where she works as a character for me is when they kind of forget about the stupid sex magic stuff Mm -hmm. because that's what doesn't work about her. That's what makes her frustrating and annoying and a misogynist stereotype, you know? But when she is the political leader, the commandant, when she's sitting at the table, when she's going head to head with Akna, which, you know, does take in some of the sexual politics, but still, like, all of that, that's when she's fascinating. I had not remembered it at all, but, you know, when we watched it and you just mentioned it, her falling apart at the end, it was just, I wouldn't say, like, good to see, but it was just, like, you really got a sense of her as a person and what she's been working for Mm -hmm. and why this is so important and how important it is to her and what she's willing to go to, the lengths she's willing to go to to get it, this piece. So, yeah, yeah, it was a good bit. Yeah, yeah. Kind of wrapping up, what was your favorite moments from this season? Oh, I don't know. I had some moments that I that I didn't expect. Like like I mentioned already the John Quixote episode where where John and Scorpius and John realizes that, you know, Aaron is in so much danger from Scorpius if he ever finds out how much he loves her. I don't know. There's that moment. There's, I really like Lava's about these splendid thing. I know like so many people hate that episode, but it's just so funny mm-hmm. with like him and Dargo being like, it's a rock kinetic energy. You just hit them with a the rock. It's going to work. And it's just like, oh, I love you guys so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, yeah. Yeah. For me, it was getting really good John Aaron moments. And granted, they were kind of like pieced together and they were kind of you know, like little clips, but it was kind of Mm -hmm. finally seeing like them being good together because it was like a mix of like their like Butch Cassidy Sundance, you know, like we're the badasses of the galaxy. And then at the same time, it was also like the cutesy stuff that we saw on um, Talon, 
you know, after they they got together there. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just like John Aaron. Yeah. No, I do too. Those were definitely some highlights for me as well. Um, especially like the Worso Screw trilogy when they are finally in sync together and they get to be together and they're just like, you know, that the difference with Aaron being like, John's crazy. Well, isn't it fun? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're just like a team again. And it's like that buddy cop dynamic, except even a step above that because mm-hmm. they're, you know, actually in love with each other, actually boning, you know, you know, and they're doing this caper and this plot and she is with him a hundred percent and he's with her a hundred percent. And it's just, it's just fantastic. Yeah. So we did get some comments um, on Twitter and via email. So I'm going to read a couple and we are going to discuss them. From Esther, we said, feeling emotional today. I know there are a few episodes remaining, but like Aaron and John in the boat, I'm not ready for this to be over quite yet. Never enough time indeed. Thanks for bringing me along on this reexamination and cherishing the wonder that is Farscape. Oh, thank you, Esther. You know, this has been quite an emotional roller coaster for me as well i mean it's what been two years now that we've been doing this but it's still bringing back all these feelings for these people on these characters that i love and have loved for so long so i'm i think i'm ready for it to be wrapped up with the podcast because the podcast is kind of a lot of work and we need a break but <laughs> <laughs> i am gonna miss you know sitting with these characters every week for sure yeah, I think that this has really made me re-examine why I like this show so much, because I always list it as like one of my favorite shows, but definitely getting to like talk through why I love it so much has really, I don't know, made me made me appreciate it more, I think. Yeah, for sure. And especially a lot of things that either I glossed over the first time or episodes I'd only seen once, and this was like the second time I'd seen it. I've, I've seen a lot of the episodes multiple times, but honestly, in my past rewatches, I would skip the ones I didn't like mm-hmm. or thought I didn't like. So this has been really cool to go back and, and really see, hey, did I really hate that episode that much? <laughs> Turns out, maybe not. <laughs> still bad but maybe i didn't hate it (laughs) Um, and then it's like oh right this one this one's really bad (laughs) so we also got a comment from at farsh nuke who said the series was formative to me as a kid and i remember staying up late on a school night to watch peacekeeper wars on channel five in the uk binge watching farscape in 2013 at the at university encouraged me to get fit and john Crichton helped me realize i was bi The show matters to me, and I still think it's one of the best sci-fi shows in so many ways. On reflection, though, problematic as fuck. Farscape was ahead of its time in terms of plotting, humor, drama, and showing the real psychological consequences of zany plots. It also brought a toxic masculine American to space and was made when less care and understanding existed for representation. Farscape is still one of the best sci-fi shows for me, but its flaws stand out more. The limitations of the cis white male perspective upon this show are apparent. I still want it to come back, however, and show us how fucked up things would be after the Peacekeeper Wars. Yeah, that is certainly true. And something watching as a teenager, watching it in my 30s, definitely you get that, that, you know, we talked about it a lot with many of the episodes that have problematic gender dynamics going on. Shiana's constant slut shaming, you know, all of that. Absolutely 100% true. And yet, I still love the show to pieces. And I think I think it's um it's okay to do that, you know? Like no art is made in a vacuum. Every all art is made in the world that is in and the norms that that society has. And unfortunately, our society has a lot of really problematic things to say about gender and sexual identity and queer identity. 
and not acknowledging that a lot of the time and Farscape is is subject to that you know quite a bit as well I mean it definitely informs what episodes I like more or less these days Mm -hmm. I mean even back then too but especially more now that I have a vocabulary to talk about it which I didn't have as a teenager yeah I definitely think that first of all Aaron I I don't know how any woman watches Aaron and is like totally straight I am a totally heterosexual person (laughs) because Aaron is like oh my god I love you Aaron such a crush on her. <laughs> I get you on the bisexuality. But also, I, I do agree that I think that one of the strengths of Farscape is kind of showing that like these zany things that happen, they have very real consequences. And also, I think that this season, we kind of talked about it a lot in terms of Greza, but that like, it wouldn't Greza would not be as much of a problem if there were more women on this show Mm -hmm. with like real roles. Like, and I think that that's a comment that people have had about black widow where one of the reasons that her character was so upsetting in age of Ultron is because she is the only woman in that team. So when you're the only woman, your actions kind of necessarily kind of need to represent all women. And I Mm -hmm. think that when you have more women, that isn't necessarily true. Um, And that kind of gets to like Farscape's tendency, which is like a very common TV thing of like we're just going to insert like a lot of women whose role is to dress really sexy and every episode play a different role and not really have a necessarily consistent characterization yeah and you see that I think the characterization is more consistent on Farscape but you definitely see that in the costuming choices I mean even with Aaron back in season one Mm -hmm. um, and Aaron is definitely that archetype of strong female warrior Mm -hmm. and of course then she's the sexual object of John and yes they do a great job with her character and build that out but you know look at Shiana she does not have that same kind of she's always pigeonholed in that you know the promiscuous sexy uh, girl child because she's very much portrayed as very young of of then using her sexual wileys to get what she needs and you have Sukozu kind of doing the same thing mm-hmm. like I would say argue more subtextually than textually but you know she's wearing a midriff you know her midriff is bare the entire time you know it's mm-hmm. the way she's dressed Jewel was dressed very similarly is very much sexy woman first and then fulfilling the character role later Yeah, we got a couple emails as well from Robin, who said, Hey, guys, I binged the podcast in a month and have caught up just in time for the end of season four. I've really enjoyed the show. You both opened my eyes to new perspectives on the show. I admire your ability to demonstrate love for Farscape while also discussing its flaws and missteps. I think season four has always struggled to live up to season three. The conclusion of that season on the command carrier was incredibly powerful. So it was always going to be a tough act to follow. I watched it live and was hugely relieved when I heard Peacekeeper Wars was going to be made. Looking forward to hearing you guys talk about it. Keep up the good work, Robin. Thanks, Robin. Yeah, this show, you know, season three is just like, I know we mentioned it already, but was amazing. And yeah, it always is going to be hard to live up to that with with season four. I don't know. I still think they did a pretty good job with it. So Mm -hmm. I admit when I think about the command carrier in retrospective, I'm like, oh, my gosh, we had so much coming together there. We had Aaron dealing with like a peacekeeper from her past, dealing with somebody who was important to her from her past. We had, you know, Crace and Talon getting their swan dive, you know, they're like, yeah getting their swan song. And it's so good. And we have like the culmination of John versus Scorpius and then the, 
wormhole knowledge in John kind of being written on his skin. Like that's how integral it is to him. I don't know. It's so good. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, this season, like, I-, I liked the We're So Screwed trilogy because it had good funny moments. It also had, you know, John and Aaron being, like, buddy cops together. But, yeah, I don't think you're going to live up to destroying <laughs> the command carrier. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it does have some heavy moments and it does have things coming together but in a different way. But it doesn't have the same gravitas as season three with just the emotional charge that you get from from that. That said, I still liked it in that moment when, you know, they drop the bomb and mm-hmm. then John has them vote after the fact. That is still like the classic <laughs> moment of that episode for me that really brings that all together. Yeah. I love that bit. And I'm really glad that we've been able to do this as kind of like a labor of love while at the same time acknowledging that, you know, <laughs> some aspects of it aren't perfect, you know, because for sure, you know, I know it's really easy to tear things down. And that kind of bums me out a little bit because it's a lot easier to tear things down than it is to like express why you like something. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's just, I remember when I was a kid and it's just like, oh, I love this thing. And, you know, you don't see any problems with it. And then as an adult, you're like, uh, you know, kind of in this, in this, I don't want to get too much into like the culture wars thing, but at the same time, I, I do find it kind of, I find it kind of hard that nowadays it's like, if anything is slightly problematic, you have to hate it, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I find that deeply upsetting, actually. And it's one reason I'm not on Tumblr very much anymore, because I just can't deal with the people who talk like that. Because, as I said, you know, art is not in a vacuum. It reflects the culture, and it can bring something to that, even if it is coming from a problematic source. And this is something that I think our society at large is wrestling with, especially in the Me Too era, which we are in the midst of at the moment, of like, how do you grapple with something you liked when you find out that the artist did something wrong mm-hmm. and terrible to other people? Or, you know, there are problematic things with it. Like, how do you reconcile that? And I think that's going to be a personal answer for many people. But, you know, something like Farscape where it's, you know, it's more of a product of the systemic issues that we have rather than individuals. You just have to kind of come to terms and come to peace with it yourself somehow. And I choose to take the best things about it and love it anyway. But you have to acknowledge that the things that are there are there. Mm-hmm. You can't just sweep them under the rug, which is something we grappled with, especially in our discussion of mental as anything. I think we were both very resistant to seeing Dargo in a bad, bad light. And that's something I've, I've been thinking about a lot since we had that discussion and our conversation with some folks on Twitter about it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So Greg actually sent us a couple of emails. I kind of condensed them down. And then I also edited some Peacekeeper War spoilers out of it because we haven't quite gotten there. <laughs> so he says, Hi, Taz and Kay. I just watched the Crichton Returns to Earth trilogy and wanted to comment on Kay's issues with this episode, which started the podcast. Kay, I can understand why you're saying about this episode feeling like it should have been its own trilogy, but that's pretty much how I felt about the first half of season four. You asked me for my thoughts about season four, and I was going by a rewatch I had a few years ago. Now that I'm at the halfway point and things are clearer, I really wish I'd, we didn't have episodes like Coup by Clam, A Prefect Murder, or even I Shrink, Therefore I Am. Starting with Unrealized Reality, this is when the, this is where the season really gets going, and I don't think it lets up for the rest of it. I think the reason why I love this episode is because Farscape did something season four other series I watched didn't do, which is showing the consequences of finishing the mission that you started the series with, which was going home. Those three series, Quantum Leap, Sliders, and Star Trek Voyager, either didn't go home or barely got home and didn't show us the real consequences of that. 
I'm speaking, of course, about Star Trek Voyager, which wasted its seventh season with seven Chakotay nonsense. And then when they finally get home, it leaves me empty and angry. I think Terra Firma was a response to how I felt about Voyager. And I think it aired two years after Endgame aired. Yeah, we could have gotten more from it. And I wish it would have gotten more. Um, But, and to use your phrase, I'm fine with what we got and hand wave it because we finally made it home and home doesn't really feel important anymore. This episode wasn't about first contact. It was about how John changed in the last three and a half years and how paranoid our world has gotten. This was gutsy of Farscape to do and it's such a risk to say, yes, we got John home, but now what? I already mentioned, but this was one of my favorites. And I think for a lot of the reasons that you're mentioning here, Greg, is because we really get to see the connection and how much change John has gone through. And that, for me, is essentially the the very important part of that. I think, you know, your comment about, you know, not needing to have some of those filler episodes in order to stretch this out, that's actually a really cool idea. And now I'm thinking, what if Farscape in season four had kind of did what they did in season three, where they had that extended, we split up the two Johns onto different ships? Mm -hmm. What if they had done something similar where they just spent six episodes on Earth, Mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, Unrealized Reality Kansas and then four more episodes on Earth and really stretched out and really dug into, you know, the differences between why they were there, you know, between John and the crew, what that meant for Earth and all that. I'm not quite sure how those episodes would have played out. You could probably stretch out the Graza plot line. You'd have maybe some more tensions with Scorpius, more, you know, more. I don't know if you'd get more explosions, but I could definitely see stretching out that terra firma episode into a into a little bit longer or something where you could really dig in and maybe that's where you bring back the stuff that happens in constellation of doubt that we don't find out till till then with the interviews how some of that happening in those episodes immediately i don't know that's just a thought but it's a really interesting thought experiment to to see what else would there be to say about everybody in that time frame if they'd have a little bit more space to deal with it mm-hmm I I really think you make a good point about if the beginning, if the first essentially, like, to be honest, if the first 10 episodes almost for me had just been like a trilogy, (laughs) I think that (laughs) that would have allowed more space for the more interesting parts of this season. I think that that's a really good point. And also, I really agree with you on the going home thing. I think that the sliders really spoke to me. You mentioning sliders really spoke to me because I'm like... The whole point of that was like, let's get home. And then they never like get home, get home until they do like a cast change. And like at that point, you only have like one of the original cast left. And like, (laughs) I don't know. It's interesting to me that Farscape did what it said it was going to do. They got John home. And now what? And and now what has always been implied in the opening credits, which is John doesn't fit anymore. You know, he's been telling us since season one, you know, are you guys ready? You know... Uh, you know, look at the wonders I've seen. And we always kind of knew from that, that he was never going to be able to go home, go home. Mm -hmm. So kind of having that confirmation and having him meet up with his dad again and meet up with his sister and deal with bureaucracy that he always knew was coming, you know, I don't know. It's been a good, it was, I think that as many, as, as much as I wish it was longer, it was still good. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the brilliance of making it the mid season arc, as opposed to the end of season arc. You know, it's because there is an after. There is going home, and then there is John's life afterwards because his life is not done yet in the in the uncharted territories and in the peacekeeper territories and tormented space and all those places. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's there's a lot 
there's a lot to chew on. And I think, you know, it's one of the large genres in fanfic for Farscape as well, at least while the show is airing. It's like, there are so many stories about John going home. I mean, that's mm-hmm. how big it was in the fanish consciousness too. And, and I think it speaks to a lot of us about how do you change when you're away? Mm-hmm. I think that one of my favorite fanfics is, um, and I'll have to look up who wrote it because I've been meaning to reread it, but it's, it's one that was really played with in um, Bad Timing, which is where what if John and Aaron went home to Earth but it was post scare. It was post, I think in the fic, it was peacekeeper invasion, but it was post, you know, invasion, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's really interesting to me. And I think that that's a direction they could have gone. And I'm, I don't know. Yeah. I think that yeah. just kind of playing with who's different, who's the same and using Aaron and John's own issues as a backdrop for John realizing he can't go home. Mm-hmm. I think that that's, I think that that was also really good. Yeah. So um, Greg also wrote us a second email, which said, I I cut a little bit of it, like I said, just to kind of cut out some of Peacekeeper War spoilers, but Sokozu is a confusing character for me. I'm glad she's there as the season goes on, but I'm also confused why she is there. At least with Jules, she was one of the survivors of the cryogenic from the cryogenically frozen group that might have been donors for John in Season of Death. For Sokozu, she shows up, has some condescending remarks towards the crew, proves to be very useful when needed... And then in Peacekeeper Wars, um, all her development goes out the window, and it contradicts her supernatural ability in destroying the Scarens' top resource on Katrazzi. In the end, I can't help but think the only reason she was there was so that they could have another woman on the show, because her character could have been written a lot better. In terms of season four, it's the weakest season, but there was still a lot to like about it. I will say one thing that bogged the series down, and I noticed this watching the miniseries last night, was that the actual wars between Peacekeepers and Scarens took away from some of the charm Farscape had. And I wondered if it had to do with the pretty much putting Pilot and Moya on the sidelines for the entire We're So Screwed trilogy and Peacekeeper Wars. Now, I loved getting Pilot to help the wormhole mission in bad timing, but other than that, he was pretty much a non-factor. If I were to have an MVP for the season, I would probably say Aaron, mainly for Claudia Black's sensational performance in prayer. I also like Neronti this season too. In terms of favorite episodes and least favorite episodes, favorite is probably Terra Firma, um, but that is more Kansas and Terra Firma. And least favorite is Coup by Clam and anything Graza was in. <laughs> Looking forward to your coverage of the entire series. It was a great rewatch and I love the show as one of my top favorite shows ever. Cheers, Greg. Thanks, Greg. It's so cool always hearing what other people think about the some of the questions that we ask. Kind of going on the MVPs and favorites, too. Obviously, we've already talked a lot about those. So, yeah, good taste, Greg. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could choose Aaron as my MVP for every single season, but I'm like, that would be like choosing LeBron James as your MVP every single year. People would be like, come on, there are other players on that team. <laughs> yeah, it kind of, for at least me and probably you as well, Aaron is just the best always. But yeah, Norianti a lot and Kansas, we didn't haven't talked a lot about Kansas, but that's also one of my favorite episodes of the season for sheer hilarity, if nothing else. Yeah. Going back to your point about Sokozu, I imagine we're going to get back to a lot of it in Peacekeeper Wars, but I think that Sokozu really is a character where I, I get your point of like, why is she here? Because it seemed like most of why she was there was to like be with Scorpius at the end was so Scorpius mm-hmm. wasn't the only one on the ship that liked himself. <laughs> 
I don't know if that makes sense, but like, yeah. yeah. And then, and again, like, yeah, the Sokozu characterization, I think she did have a little bit of a mini arc where she goes from thinking everybody is an idiot to, you know, kind of being team Moya, you know, at least in the We're So Screwed trilogy. And then, you know, her romance with Scorpius. But mm-hmm. yeah, I get your point. For me, I, and, and this, and this speaks to what we were just talking about in terms of women, where like, yeah, what was her point? <laughs> Well, yeah, clearly there she she was there to add an extra female presence and to replace Jewel. At least that's my read on it is the sexy another sexy woman on board. What I like about Sukozu is that she is kind of this antagonistic doesn't quite fit with the crew because it lends a nice non-conforming butting heads kind of dynamic to it which is always kind of fun to see them clash because our crew is a found family, right? And here's the new person who doesn't fit. Norianti fits in really well Mm -hmm. like she's like seamlessly part of the crew even as wacky as she is but she fits with them because she's weird in the way they're weird Sukozu is weird in a way that they are not Mm -hmm. you know and then and then you have her whole alliance with Scorpius and her seeing more about the bigger world and the big picture and the conflict with the Scarens and she really brings in that Scaren point of view in terms of she grew up in Scaren space as a Kalish and all that Mm -hmm. I think part of her problem on a meta level it on a meta level is i don't know i think the writers kept having ideas for her so they weren't like seamlessly integrated but as they kept you know hey we need someone to fill this role okay Sokoza's going to do that mm-hmm. i think there's a little bit of that going on that doesn't work as organically as it does for some of the other characters like for instance chiana mm-hmm. who was definitely supposed to die and then stayed on and then she was able to fill these other roles. She's the seer basically now with the the thing for the writer, um, the consequences of the writer joining with her. So I don't know. I feel like there is some shaky writing with her as well. Yeah, I'll agree with all that. You know, I think that, yeah, the fact that they kept being like, well, we need somebody who can do this. You know who can do it? Sokozu. You know, like, let's just have Sokozu do this. I think that that didn't work for me. I think that her weirdly outsized importance in, like, the going home thing was kind of weird for mm-hmm. me. That, like, she was the one that essentially made first contact with Earth. And, like, the language thing still drives me up the wall. <laughs> it still drives me absolutely freaking insane. Um, yeah. But I'm not going to get into that because we've spoken at length about linguistics not working like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'll be curious to kind of see how I how I feel about her post Peacekeeper Wars, you know, mm-hmm. on the rewatch. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Getting into the pilot and Moya being non-factors. That's definitely true. I think that the latter half of the season felt a little bit squeezed for everybody's attention. Do you know what I mean? For like everybody's There's a lot time. of characters. Yeah. Yeah. And especially as you say, the the Scarin and the Peacekeeper plot taking primacy. I don't know that it reduces Farscape for me. I think you know, it's one of those things that happens as longer as shows get older and there's like less open endedness about them and mm-hmm. they become part of a bigger world. I feel like it's uh something that it can feel like it changes the tone and it can feel like it like it squeezes something that you liked out of it. Like I felt this was supernatural when they started bringing in season four and five, the angels and like the whole, you know, Gabriel and, and Castiel and all those guys. And like, God is now a part of this. And this like this big thing. And it's just like, that is when the show really lost a lot of its charm for me in terms of the world building. And I think that might be something that may be going on for you here. It doesn't, 
maybe I'm just, I've been living with Farscape for so long. That's been part of my consciousness for so long that doesn't really bother me in this one. Mm -hmm. But, you know, everyone's mileage varies with that. Yeah. I've definitely had that experience with other shows, though. Yeah, and I, I get that in terms of I, I completely agree with you about Supernatural. Where like as much as I love Castiel and I think that he was a good addition to the show, I think that kind of once you start getting bigger than the show's initial premise, things are always gonna change. It's the same for Buffy, like once they introduced like a lot of her bigger plots. Not necessarily the mayor, but like once you kinda got beyond that where it was like glory and like these like giant plots, you know, where it was kind of like, okay, I don't know that this was necessary. <laughs> You know, I kind of wanted a show about teenagers killing vampires. We got a we got a comment from Jenna on on email, and she said, "Hi guys, I love listening to your podcast, and wanted to tell you all my thoughts on season four. I've watched the show 107 times, all the way through Peacekeeper Wars, <laughs> and every time season four comes to an end, I remember the nostalgia of heartbreak I felt when it was first airing, and this was supposedly the end of Farscape at the time." My absolute favorite character is Chiana. I love her character growth throughout this season, and I feel like I can relate to her in several ways based on my life situations. To see where she started in season one and the character she is in season four, it just reminded me a lot of my own life. The tremendous growth Dargo has is phenomenal as well. He not only calmed the he not only calmed down a hell of a lot in his anger, but has also grown to be more understanding in person. Erin has basically figured out how to show compassion, love, and put aside her peacekeeper training to see the universe and all its people for the what they are. Her relationship with John is rocky, but it's still the one she wants to be a part of. John has accepted that he's now a part of a dysfunctional family aboard Moya. He's also become more in tune with the wormhole knowledge and chosen to protect Earth by closing the wormhole for good. I'm really excited to hear what you have to say on Peacekeeper Wars, guys. Y'all are awesome. Love, Jenna. Oh, thanks, Jenna. I love what you say about all the all the main crew characters there. That's absolutely true. And the one we haven't really talked about on the podcast today is Chiana. Mm -hmm. And I feel like she's a little bit also underused this season. I wish we'd gotten more of her, mm -hmm. but I do love what we get of her. And, and she has become so much more than, you know, the, the, the young person who was ready to run away at the first hint of trouble in season one. And then, you know, still being the one who's like, let's go steal stuff with, with Rigel, you know? She has come so far and I love her. And I love, we get glimpses of it, even though I wish we'd had more, but her, her friendship with Aaron mm -hmm. has really grown a lot too. And I just wish we had more of the two of them together on screen. Yeah, I'll totally agree with you about Chiana. I think that we've kind of come to this place of her being confident in who she is. And we saw that a couple times when she's talking to Pilot and she kind of has that relationship that Zan used to have with Pilot where like Pilot is the, tells her, like her specifically, mm -hmm. I, I want you guys to choose a captain, you know? Mm -hmm. And she's the one that, you know, ends up taking the orders from Pilot when he's telling stark how to run the ship and so i don't know it just feels like this definitely boosts up the season three thing of chiana being the only adult in the room <laughs> and like also just her growing more you yeah. know coming into herself more yeah and i think part of that we also see was with her is with her relationship with dargo mm -hmm. 
you know, because at the beginning of the season, they're still kind of, you know, at odds with each other, but they're starting to reconcile. And then at the end of the season, you know, while they're on um, the space station trying to get into Scarin space, you know, he comes up to her and they have this moment where they're like pretending not to know each other, but then they have their heads touching. And then you have the two of them, you know, boning again at the end. She's able now to have that relationship with Dargo that she tried to have Mm -hmm. in season two. So it's just... I don't know. It's just really nice to see them coming together and seeing where they are with respect to each other. That is beyond where they were in season two, which, as you say, Dargo has calmed down. He's got a lot more perspective, a lot more patience. And Shiana has come into her own as Mm -hmm. this competent, strong person who can handle the the stress and she can handle the, the craziness that gets thrown at her and deal with the situation. Yeah. In a way, she wasn't able to cope as well earlier on. Yeah, and it kind of shows forgiveness on both of their parts because they both did things that were pretty unforgivable to each other. And yeah. so the fact that they're kind of able to come back and be like, okay, no, I choose you, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty special. All right. So next week, we're going to be doing the first part of Peacekeeper Wars Part 1. <laughs> we still have to figure out where exactly we are splitting that in half but don't worry we will mention at the beginning of the episode where we're going to we're going to do it in one hour increments because as you know we usually talk for slightly longer than an hour about a 45 minute episode so we figured <laughs> four ups would would be appropriate and you can find us at farscape friday podcast at gmail tumblr and dreamwith.com you can also find us at farscape friday on twitter feel free to hit us up in any of those places as we've just revealed your comments mean a ton to us this is a project so of love. much yeah Thank you everybody for wrote in we really appreciate it we love hearing about what our what everyone thinks have a wonderful week everybody bye